The views expressed in our episodes are ours alone and do not represent any other organizations. Our episodes discuss internet crimes against children in cases that involve the exploitation of children and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Yeah, we don't want to do anything to scare your children. That's the last thing we want to do. We don't want to scare anybody. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome, Catfish Cops. Thanks for joining us. My name is Tony Godwin. My name is Brandon Poor. And um, we are going to jump, I think, right into this episode right because in. this um, is a two-parter today. Yeah, so this you won't hear the end of it today. Yeah, I'm just. We're going to tease you slightly, but we're going to get kicked off because there's. Uh, it's such a, a long sort of case. So, who are we talking about today, Tony? So, today we're going to talk about a pseudonym that we've given, and his name is William Barkley. Okay. Barkley. Just a generated name that we use uh, for our offenders, as most of you all know. And so, this case for me goes back to 2011. Um, Mr. Barkley was then a 31 year old man. Um, and and I received this case in a somewhat unorthodox way that I don't think we've even discussed or talked about to to date um, and everything that we've done. Um, and so as a result of the way I got that, which I'll talk about here in a second, it sort of opened up Pandora's box uh, for me. And so what I want to make sure that is understood is that I know we've echoed this in other episodes about if your kid's in the car, like mute it and wait till the kid gets this is the episode to not have a child listen to this episode. I think there were a few episodes that were not to have a child listen to, but this is one yeah. that will be graphic. This one is because this of one the is, nature of what it was. This one's pretty grueling. I'm I'm not even gonna lie. Um I'm I'm gonna just preface right up front that this is going to be unnerving, kind of upsetting. Um maybe a little difficult to hear some of the things that are you know, sort of going on. And so I just want that sort of known ahead of time um, because that's kind of where we're going. And so, as I mentioned, we haven't much discussed how, uh, I don't think we've discussed at all about how we get all of our cases, but this is one of them. And it came maybe unorthodox to those of you listening because you just don't know. Um, but I actually received a phone call from another agency who was in my city doing what's called a knock and talk. And so we, we hear that term a lot simply because uh, they're somewhat associated with, you know, narcotics and things of that nature. But in child exploitation, we at times have to do knock and talks. And so this other agency was in my city based on a, a report that they received. What's um, a knock and talk? Let's tell them what that is. So a knock and talk is we are aware that there is some information that is consistent with a potential offense, but there's just not enough information for us to get the legal process that we would normally get um, authoring authorizing us to, you know, kick somebody's door in and go in on a search warrant. And sometimes we do a knock and talk because the nature of, we, there may be a reason that 
right. would require us maybe not to go in with a search warrant and right. do a full execution of a search warrant. It might just be something that we can knock on the door and clear up or something like that, right? It's not necessarily because it's less information or we still have a lot of the legal grounds yeah. for it, but a lot of times it's it's just a different set of circumstances. Yep. And so I received this phone call um, from the other agency and they're like, Hey, we're at this location in your city and we'd be very happy if you could come over here. And so I did. And when I got there, I, I basically was given, um, just a, a brief rundown of what had transpired. And, and this is basically what had transpired at the home where they were at, which was Barclays, um, residence. Um, they went to encounter him because he had gone to a, local uh, chain store in this other city and he was with somebody. He had gotten a ride there and then gotten a ride home. And then as he left, someone reported his cell phone. They found his cell phone. It was actually the person that he got the ride from. He he basically left his phone in somebody's vehicle. And so the female that had given him the ride home after going to this store didn't realize it till she got home and she's kind of unloading her things and she sees this cell phone. She's like, Oh, okay, well, let me take this home. And, and like probably many of you, like she looks through it. And when she looks through it, um, she sees that there are an awful lot of messages from a woman. Um, she identified as Nancy. And in those messages were child sex abuse material imagery. Now, Nancy's not her real name, right? Nancy is not the real name of the person. Sorry. I've given another, um, another pseudonym. pseudonym. Almost said acronym. <laughs> Another pseudonym. pseudonym was given to Nancy. Yeah. So we're calling her what? We are calling her Nancy Hackney. Yep. Hackney. Nancy Hackney. So Barkley and Hackney. Barkley. Like a, a really yeah, nice, like a, cool cop show from kinda. the eighties. Yeah, maybe so. Barkley and Hackney. Definitely not cool. So the individual that found the phone found the materials. She was sickened, and um, I I want to emphasize that she was sickened by what she saw, and so she immediately calls the police in the city that she resides in, and the police come and they take the device, and it gets through the system there, and so the report is generated, and the uh, the ICAC folks from that agency then began to work it up, and so they had gotten to a point where um, they identified Barkley. Obviously, they knew it was his phone, but it doesn't really rise. That you know, his automatic out is, oh, I didn't do that. That was put on there after I lost my phone because he thought he lost his phone at the store. Like, made us might have set it down or whatever. He was totally clueless that his friend or found somewhat friend, her car, yeah, found it and then reported it. So right. he, he did not know this. And so, at that point, they go to his house and. They knock on the door. He answers the door. He lets them in. He's very cooperative. And he is there babysitting his niece and two nephews. Oh, no. Yeah. That, oh. And they're they're young. Yeah. They're small. And so. Now, you don't have the case at this point. Right. This is still the other agency's case. They've just asked me to come over to help them. Because they're in your city. Because they're in my city. And I had no idea they were coming here, coming to my city. And, and sometimes when we do these cases, we may trickle into the city next to us. Uh, typically we will try our best to make a notification that, Hey, we're going to be in your town and we're going to be doing this, but it doesn't always work out that way. So I, you know, I didn't have any ill will or anything towards them. They did a great job uh, with what they had and where they were at. And so um, basically 
Barkley invites them in and they have this conversation with him. He's obviously Mirandized and he waves his rights to talk to them. And so he basically admits that I thought I lost my phone while I was shopping. And, but yes, I have a problem with child sex abuse material. And so he then tells them that he's got a friend who's a former girlfriend, Nancy Hackney, who is 30 years old, but she's also very aware of his propensity for young kids and that they share the same fetish for child sex abuse material. Now, wait, fetish, you're putting in air quotes because... Right. His terminology. Yeah. this is So he's using this term fetish. That's the term he fetish. used. Okay. Right. And that not only does he have this air quote fetish, Miss Hackney also has the same air quote fetish. Now, as far as that goes, like, and, and uh, have we talked about any female offenders? Female offenders are rare. They are rare. They In this arena, they're rare. Yeah. Because... Normally, we have, in my experience, and, and tell me if yours is different, my experience is that female offenders are oftentimes providing content to a male offender. Correct. Um, but not often have a their own desire or propensity for that right. content. Uh, aside from this particular case, um, I've only heard reference of one or two others ever. That are like that, yeah. Especially in regards to child sex abuse material. Now there are some women offenders in other aspects of what we do right. from the exploitative side, but from this it's, it's, it is pretty rare. And so not to say that there aren't offenders that are female, right. it's just, we don't come across them as much. Right. 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 Correct. So Barkley begins to tell us um, how Hackney, who is currently married um, and has a child um, also has shared fetishes air quotes her her husband and he have these uh fetishes that include diapers pregnancy and child sex abuse material and so you know out of the box it's like uh what yeah diapers um pregnancy being meaning that like hackney gets pregnant or she's they're just all interested in pregnancy. I guess I don't understand that. A little bit of both. Okay. Um, and so, you know, that's that's layers of the onion that we begin to unpack to kind of figure out, like, what is going on and why. And so the last thing that he, he explains to us is that both he and Hackney and her husband have all engaged in very deviant sexual activities together as a threesome and as well as sometimes a foursome with other people, they're all admittedly, um, you know, bisexual and that they all engage in these fetish, the interests that they have, which I've already mentioned, the diapers, the pregnancy and things of that nature. So it makes you wonder like, what, how, like, what, <laughs> like, you, you know what I mean? Like, it's just very, very difficult. And so, um, and I want to make sure that I add that Barkley wasn't acting or giving us this information in sort of like a, oh, I'm placing blame on them. They're so the he ones. wasn't throwing Hackney and them no. under, like, not in a way of saying, like, it wasn't me, it was them. Right. And that's what you would expect, I think, as yeah. a listener. You'd be like, oh, that's of course. That's what I thought it was, yeah. yeah. Of course, he's going to say they did it. Well, no, it wasn't that at all. It was, he was admitting, yeah, this is my issue, but 
you know, this is where I got it because they got the same issue I got. Oh, wow. And so it was a very matter of fact sort of statement about things. And um, so in regards to that, the other agencies there, they have a conversation with them about this. There's a process that has to be followed, even though, you know, Barkley says, yeah, that's my phone. Yes, those are the images that I have on my device. They're not going to, you know, from a legal perspective, they have to obtain an arrest warrant. And so I was called over in that process, um, one, because I'm in the city, but, you know, because it's my city, is there's, you know, can we go down whatever other rabbit hole? And so um, that's essentially what happens is um, he's asked by this other agency, like, hey, listen, like, you know, obviously we have to do more follow-up. Is there anything else you think we should know about kind of a deal? And the response that he gave, you know, was sort of life-changing, I guess. And I want to say that his demeanor and his attitude when he just matter-of-factly says this um, is he points to his niece and he says, I've sexually molested that girl three times. And so it's one of those. Everything changes, right? Uh, like, yeah. Like not it's only no longer just a computer phone issue. It's a, there's everything. Right. And, it, and it's, you don't expect it on a knock and talk. And so it was, it was life altering. It was kind of one of those heart stopping moments. You never, ever, ever want to hear those words. You never want to, you know, especially being right there, you go through really this entire range of emotions. Um, you're, you know, if I'm being ugly, honest, like I was angry. I was full of kind of some hate for this guy. I was kind of disgusted. But what also bears mentioning is we don't have time for those emotions. We don't have time. We don't have the luxury to be able to say, whoa, hold up, um, because there's lots of things that have to happen now in a very significant um, manner and things that we need to do, and, and they have to be done immediately. So um, I asked Barkley if I could have his permission to look at his home computer in his room, and I want to I just talk about the condition of this house. Uh, I know I've mentioned I think in some other episodes, I, I have this uh, propensity for bad smells. Like I cannot stand them. Uh, they sicken me. And this house was disgusting. You like, tend to get the gross ones. So don't, you know what? Don't let Tony tell you that this is the worst or this is in the top, whatever worst he's ever seen. <laughs> Cause like he sees a lot of top worsts, And you know, in one case, at least that I can think of, <laughs> He just threw me into the worst and he left yeah. and went somewhere else. That's true. Yes, that is true. And I apologized for that. <laughs> and and while I will say Mr. Barkley's house was thoroughly disgusting and smelled, it wasn't the worst. Where you went was absolutely the worst. <laughs> absolutely. If you ever see Tony pull up to a house and gag before he's out of the car and then drive <laughs> off quickly, that means you've hit the top yeah. worst. Yeah, you know that I'm not going in there. <laughs> just <laughs> just know that outright. I'm just letting you know. So while I then begin to do a preview of Mr. Barkley's computer, the other agency is having him write what we call a voluntary statement. And so I think I'm going to ask you to read this, Brandon, just because and, – and for the sake of the um, listeners – 
I, I want you to understand these are the words and I have changed two things. I removed two names and that's it because he had obviously wrote the correct name. And so I've removed that. And so why do I always get to read the creepy, gross stuff? By because the you have the, like the radio voice, you know, like oh, I stumble yeah, over right. my words and whatnot. But so this is what he wrote. And we've changed the names and ages of the children for their protection. Quote, when I was 15, I started noticing I was attracted to younger children. And since then, I have indulged in looking at sexually explicit images from the Internet for from peer to peer sharing applications and from acquaintances with similar interests. On occasion, I would delete these images and felt deep amounts of shame and guilt, and on three separate occasions, I had inappropriate contact. I have serious issues and know that I need psychological help. I don't want to act upon my urges, and I would never hurt anyone, so I am terrified of my own thoughts and temptations. I received images on my cell phone and computer involving children performing sex acts with adults and other children, and that that excited me. On three separate occasions, I had sexual contact with my niece. She asked to see my penis while I was cleaning her bottom and genitals after a potty accident. I did this. Then she asked for me to lick her vagina, and I did. I also masturbated with my penis touching her vagina until I ejaculated. I'm so sorry, and the name has been removed for any damage or hurt I ever caused you, even if you didn't know it when it happened or the reason why. I love you. You're my princess, and I would never hurt you. If you grow up thinking I'm a monster, that's at the least I deserve. It happened in April and May in Virginia at my brother's house. Yeah. Now that's... That's terrible. That's horrific on every imaginable level. Yeah. And so I was unaware of the writing of this at the time because obviously I was upstairs in his bedroom running a, a, you know, a preview on his computer and so while I was there for his admission, um, that was not the task at hand for me at the time. And so upon my review, you know, I located hundreds and hundreds of images and uh, videos uh, that warranted me putting handcuffs on him immediately yes. um, and which authorizes me to do that. So tell us, sometimes we don't arrest an offender at the time of the search warrant or when we contact them. Right. But sometimes we do. Sometimes and we do. In this case, I think it's clear, but maybe our listeners don't. Why Why the quick urgency to arrest this offender? Well, I mean, the, the material itself would have warranted his arrest had his admission to what he did to this child not happened. Um, in all likelihood, I'd say a nine and a half out of ten chance he was going to jail no matter what. But as soon as he just casually very flippantly mentions, oh, by the way. Hands on offense. Yeah, yeah. I've done this hands on offense more than one time. Well, guess what? Um, Because now we need to keep him from being able to do anything else to a kid and to find any other victims. Right. And so I I want you as the listeners to keep in mind um, the things that go into play. And so he's immediately arrested. He's removed from the home immediately. And he's sent to our facility with what we call a phone hold. And so a phone hold means exactly what it sounds like. We prevent him from being able to use a phone. And why would we do that? For a short duration, right? Yeah, yeah, short, yeah, like not any extended period of time. We have to, it has to be authorized and, you know, lots of things. Well, I know in, in this case, 
if he's already talking about other people involved, what you don't want is him going and calling those other people so that they can delete things or hide things or flee or maybe even worst case scenario, they're, you know, prevent, they're prepared to, you know, harm someone right that's coming to look for them yeah and so spot on that's exactly what happens and because he had given us information about this ex-girlfriend miss hackney um i mean we were obligated at this point this was not just going to get away from us so we locate miss hackney in an apartment complex we contact her at the door she is eight months pregnant because they have a an interest in that that's a big interest right she also has a child a young child um, and I want to mention, uh, she lived in this apartment with her husband, her child and her father who looked almost identical to Jerry Garcia from the grateful day. <laughs> like he was not Jerry Garcia. He was not Jerry Garcia, but he was the spitting image of Jerry Garcia. I'm sorry, listeners. I don't know why he had to mention that. That's <laughs> ac- absolutely not in any way related to this. Well, it was an interesting point to know because it will come up again here in a little while. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so we go do a second knock and talk, right? Because that's what we have. We have enough to go do a knock and talk. And so we make um, contact at this location. And this location is 1,000% worse than the previous location in far as far as like stench and disgusting and roaches and see i told you every location is going to become the top worst top 10 worst places he's maybe, ever seen maybe so <laughs> if it's got any smell at all he's gagging and saying it's the worst. well this look i use the word deplorable in this one it was deplorable so we go there we bring her outside onto this foyer area and uh, we have a conversation with her she's very nervous obviously she's a little unsettled about all the cops being there and she's kind of semi cooperative with us. Um, she gives us or offers up this sort of very lame excuse about, Oh, I just sent him those things. Uh, yes. She admits, you know, yes, he does. Mr. Barkley does have this obsession with child sex abuse material. And, um, she was only helping him as a joke and yada, yada, yada. No, wait, what's, so the joke is what she's, Sending him this stuff as a, as she thinks it's funny. Well, that's what she would have liked us to believe. Uh-huh. Um, in her, you know, nervous um, expressions and whatnot when we first got there, and um, she kind of vaguely gave us some description about where she went to seek out this material, and uh, but she tried her best really to kind of dismiss it, even though it was not able to be done. Um, she told us that she had two cell phones. She had an older phone because she had upgraded to a new phone and that the older phone had been wiped and that her young child now uses that device for games and whatnot, which a lot of parents do. And that her new phone is so new that it's never, she's never done this. And so, but, but so we said, fine, can we see the phones and validate they've been wiped and that you haven't done any searches. And so she reluctantly gets the phones signs the consent forms and we go through these devices and you're never going to believe what we found. What is that? Child sex abuse material in the new phone and the old phone. Oh, Oh wow. Both phones. That's bad. She's letting her child use this old phone that she says has been wiped and doesn't have anything on it. Correct. And the child is using a phone that has CSAM on it. That is correct. 
And so, as you can imagine, if you are a listener and you have never worked in law enforcement, as you can imagine, everybody's emotional level is quite elevated. Nobody's in a great mood. Um, You know, our patients are at a very, very, very small minimum. And so, we're in my city. We have an offense in my city. And so, I handcuff an eight-month pregnant woman and arrest her for the CSAM material. Now, I I think it bears mentioning that under other circumstances, we're not in the habit of arresting someone who's pregnant. Right. Right. I mean, clearly like eight months pregnant. We're not in the habit of doing that because inherently we don't, we're not looking to cause problems for this unborn child or any undue stress. But uh, she was not. But because of the nature of this offense, you feel like it's just, I mean, obviously it's for the safety of the kids that are involved, right. all the kids um, and any kids that she needs to be put in jail so she's not able to do any more harm. Right. Gotcha. And so now we had some secondary problems at this particular location because here we have this child living in these despicable, deplorable, disgusting conditions we have, you know, ancient grandpa who's on a walker. Um, he's not able to care for this child, so we have to get CPS involved. And so we do. And uh, for those of you listening who are not in any law enforcement capacity or have never dealt with it, like when we feel that there's a need to remove a child from a harmful situation, whether it's because of condition or stench or cleanliness or or potentially other things, then that's what we do. We get a hold of our CPS advocates and they come out and they do the a home evaluation and they make some determinations and guess what was determined? We're taking this kid. And so grandpa. Yeah. Who looks like Jerry Garcia. Jerry Garcia flips his lid. Uh, grandpa <laughs> Garcia, he flips and he like starts getting very, very agitated and he's very, very upset and so it's basically explained to him um, because I, I'm, I'm being ugly, honest, like I was at my max on this one, like patience. emotionally, patience, oh, yeah. emotions. I was fired up. I was mad. I was not in Mr. You know, grandpa's <laughs> state of mind. You I, weren't ready for his state of mind. I, I was not. Yeah. And I was not going to tolerate it or deal with it. And so... I tried to explain to him in the best sensible, sensible way I could that, hey, you can come to the police station, but uh, the wheels of this are in motion. So get out of the way or we'll get you out of the way kind of a thing. And so but was he understanding that that this was because of the stuff that had been done by fam- his family, not well, not you guys? He was he was placing uh, no blame at all, even on, though on her on her and that. You know, it was a conspiracy theory that we did this and we did that. And so I want to make sure, you know, I tried to be respectful as I could with the guy and tried to explain to him that, listen, you know, um, this is what we're doing. Whether you're okay with this or not, this is what we're going to do. And and so that's ultimately what ended up happening. And so – when I go back to, you know, the station, 
we we get everything done. We've made a couple of arrests. Now there's you know things that need to be done, and so um, I go down to the jail and I pull Mr. Barkley, and I'm like, hey, I want to have another conversation with you to clear clear free things up and you know get an understanding of things. And so he's very cooperative. He's to a point where uh, he you know he's more than happy to have a conversation with me. So we go through and. Uh, you know, obviously we do a Miranda warning and things like that. And so um, I wanted to get an understanding on some level um, from him, like where does the, where does this, what he deems to be fetish, you know, come into play. And so I wanted to kind of pick that, pick that apart a little bit and have a conversation with him. And so I think I'm going to, I'm going to just tell you this first section and then i think um we'll finish it next week. we're going to finish it next week and so it's very interesting to me and i think i've mentioned in previous episodes like my my um what i like the best about the job is being in the room with the guy to get a guy to tell me things that you know may have been secrets for 10 15 20 years like this is I enjoy that part of, of these investigations. And so it's very curious to me when someone tells me that they have this diaper fetish, I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Like, I want to know more about that because that's so bizarre. And we can't, like, we don't want to know more about that. Right. But we have to know more about that. So yeah, yeah that's like, we would, we need to find out as much as possible and then hope that we never have to like tell anyone else yeah. again or deal with it again. But we have right. to know, right? Right. We have to get details. Yeah. And so obviously my, my intention going in when I pulled him back out for the second interview, um, you know, it, it wasn't any slight against the, uh, the other agency. They did a fantastic job and, and did everything they should have done. It's just, we now had more information specifically about his admission of what he did, to the kids or the child. And so now we have to figure out some determinations. Okay. Well, you know, you're the uncle, well, where are the parents and why is the kid here versus not with the parents? And so that's other questions that I had to ask him about. And so once he told me all of that and I, I sort of was like, okay, make me understand like, where do you develop or how do you figure out what point in your life does the switch flip and say diapers are sexually a sexual turn on for me or pregnancy fetish? Where, where does that, how does that switch get flipped? And so he said the diaper thing sort of came up secondarily to the pregnancy fetish. He said his first initial memory um, was more so about the pregnancy aspect of things and he said it started very innocently. He said he was, uh, you know, three or four or five years old. He said he was kind of best friends with the kid next door. He said he was always at my house. I was always at his house. And he said his mother was very, very pregnant at some point when he remembers being four or five. And he said, I remember her being just a very affectionate woman in the sense that she was always giving me hugs and she would let me touch her her baby bump and I could feel the baby kick. And he said, ever since that time, he said, I've always had this connection to that, to pregnancy. And he said, and as I've grown older, he said, his 
addiction to child sex abuse material began early and we'll talk more about that next week but the the diaper stuff you know sort of morphed between the pregnancy fetish to the child sex abuse material to the or to the diapers to the child sex abuse material and so he said that he was like actively involved like with that fetish as far as diapers and i'm like come again like i don't i don't understand what you mean he wears them yeah oh so he wears them and then engages in these sex acts yeah which then soils the diaper and so it's this gosh like like, (laughs) i you've left me you've done the impossible i'm speechless yeah and what did you say okay so i have to think like i've seen you make a face when someone says something out of the ordinary and you kind of have this like what look and yeah so what did you say you know i was uh, (laughs) (laughs) you've done the impossible we're both speechless yeah i don't i don't have any memory of like saying anything more than like wow like that's um but how to okay so obviously you know he's explaining the pregnancy thing did he explain where the diaper part of that came in and then obviously those two things you know with if he's playing some sort of sexual thing with a diaper with an adult that's the legal part but then it goes into right this horrible exploitation and rape of children and that I don't see the connection between. Yeah, the only connection I could actually make from it was, and you'll hear next week about, unfortunately, more about his uh, issues with, you know, child sex abuse material, is that was sort of the age range that he had some interest in, like a very young, what we call in our industry diaper porn, um, you know, very very young toddler age and so i think in his mind he uh i i guess one thing i want to make sure is everybody understands is we hear a lot of these guys say well it's because i was abused as a child he said nothing ever happened to him he had a very normal you know yeah. rearing as a child he said nothing sexual bizarre weird ever took place and so he equated everything back to his fascination with the pregnancy part so i you know, I'm surmising from what his admissions were to say, okay, well, I think he might have, you know, made some connection with baby and belly. Baby makes, you know, comes out. Baby eventually wears diapers. Diapers somehow, you know, it's somehow twisted into this sexual perversion, which then led to child sex abuse material, which then led to, um, you know, everything else. Everything else that acted everything. Well, we can't leave our listeners with that horrible thing (laughs) so the one thing that you didn't tell yet is how jerry garcia uh threatened to oh yeah kick your ass right yeah he did in his words kick your ass he shows up at the station and the front desk calls me and and hey there's a you know old looking jerry garcia guy out here in a walker (laughs) and he is pissed you know and so i go out there to greet him with another detective and he is shaking and he is, you know, kind of wobbling and whatnot. Um, he's angry. He is. Yeah. He is fired up, pissed and it's all directed at me. And so 
as he waddles towards me the best that he can, you know, on his walker, screaming and cussing at me, I, I fully expected him to assault me. Like I, he was threatening what? Yeah, he's like, I'll, I'll kick your ass. <laughs> like, I'm going <laughs> to kick your ass. And because you've arrested his eight-month-old Because daughter, I took or, his... Sorry, eight-month pregnant daughter and took his grandson out of the home. To CPS. To CPS. And so he's... He's fit to be tied, and he's telling me I'm going to beat your ass, and you know, blah, 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 blah. he's screaming, he's cussing, and and I'm I'm as calm and cool as I can be, and I explained to him I was like, this is the way it goes, and you know, you're, you're not, not going to kick my ass. You're not right. <clears throat> Even at your best day, I'm I'm fairly certain I could probably hold my own with him. <laughs> um, and so and you're not going to get in fight with no Grandpa gonna, Garcia out in the. On his walker? On his no. walker, right. So, <laughs> But as he's leaving... You he's, had to throw one parting shot, huh? Well, he kept at me. He kept screaming back at me and yelling and cussing me. And, and you replied? Make better choices. <laughs> <laughs> so, my that, was, that was good advice, don't you think? Make better choices? Yeah, yeah probably not I meant not like the condition of the apartment. You probably didn't want to hear it, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I, he... When I said that, he almost did a 180 to come back, but he was too far away and probably very tired from wobbling. And my coworker looks at me with the look that of like, thanks. You really? Stopped there. Really? Yeah, we've all been there. So with that, we will leave you with the thought of the elderly Jerry Garcia with a walker threatening to kick Tony's ass. And we wobble. Please go check us out on catfishcops.com. Leave any questions, comments, concerns. Uh, rate and review us and share with your friends the podcast episodes. Um, and let us know if you have anything specific you'd like to hear from us. Thank you so much for joining us. And we will tell you how this episode ends next week and wrap it up. Tune in.